0: Hi, I'm Fioni. I'm a mother, a birth keeper, a teacher, a woman's mentor, a body worker, a doula, and so much more. Hi, I'm Deborah,
1: I'm a mother, a humanitarian worker, a yoga teacher, and a student doula.
0: In this podcast, we bring together women who share their journeys to motherhood with us.
1: We want women to share their doubts, their fears, what they've learned along the way, and their memories. Our goal is to inspire, inform, and
0: empower. Each woman is unique and has a story to tell. We hope that you'll love these stories as much as we do.
1: Welcome to the Becoming Mother podcast.
0: Hi Deborah, so nice to see you again. Hi Tony. I'm really excited for us to have Emma today. Because, you know, the pelvic floor is such a, a taboo subject and not really spoken about. So we, yeah, when we started this podcast, we really wanted to do it. So I'm glad that we are finally here. I've been telling people to go to pelvic floor physios for many, many years. And I myself went to a physio many years ago to have the experience so that I could know what it felt like, what it was like. And there was only one pelvic floor physio at that point. Um, now, we have more and more pelvic floor physios, especially in Johannesburg, where I am, and I think in the world, there's just more and more, which I'm so grateful for, that women are able to really start taking control of their bodies, and what's going on, and how they're feeling, and, and that they can do something about it.
1: Yeah, and the, all the, the women you've met, Tony, um are there many of them who experience some issues after birth, uh, related to the pelvic floor, some leaks yeah. or... Yeah. Or organ
0: prolapse is that common? You know, organ prolapse not so much. I haven't had many of those, but you know, from you know, tearing and yeah, that kind of thing, you know, painful intercourse. It's so important to, you know, to to get help because you don't have to just bear it. You can actually go and get help and like you did and feel better.
2: Yeah,
1: and I think the sad thing about it is that, as you say, it's, it's quite taboo as a topic. And uh, I remember after birth, I, I had this group who were three, three women who had uh, babies around the same age. And we talked about everything. And we, we asked each other, do you do you have licks when you sneeze? You know. And then I felt so relieved to hear I wasn't the only one. And then we said, you know, it's so important to go and see a pelvic floor physio. And she shared the contact of Emma and I went for a few sessions and then I started telling women I, I knew around me, have you done a pelvic floor assessment after after your birth? And I remember a friend telling me, well, I had a C-section, so I don't really see the point. And I told mm-hmm. her exactly, mm-hmm. do you think your baby, you know, that you've been carrying for nine months hasn't put a strain on, on your pelvic floor? please go and see a pelvic floor physio. And that's why I think this episode is so important because Emma is explaining everything about it. And in France, the, the social security system reimbursed 10 sessions after birth. So you have to do it. Uh, you're really encouraged to do it. And I know that most of my friends do it. And, and sometimes they do more than 10 sessions because that's what they need. Uh, and I think that's so important because I don't think in South Africa that's the case. Uh, and and in many other countries in the world, and um, yeah. that's why we invited Emma for this uh, bonus episode. Thank you so much, Emma, for accepting to to join the podcast. I'm super happy to to see you. Yeah, I would like you to to introduce yourself first, so that our listeners uh, get
2: to know you, and then we can right dive into it. Yeah, sure thing. So, my name is Emma Jenkins. Um my married name is Maasdorp, so that might come out, but it's a it's a hard surname to say for many people around the world. So, I stick to Jenkins on the professional platform. I am a women's and public health physio and I'm currently practicing in Sydney, Australia, in a little suburb called Cronulla. Yeah, I've been practicing in the field of women's health since 2018. And I actually kind of delved into women's health because I myself was struggling with sexual pain. And I haven't, at that stage, hadn't been pregnant, didn't have a baby yet. And, you know, I was just like confused as to why is this happening to me. So that's kind of what brought me to this field. And yes, since then, I've nurtured my interest in everything relating to these kind of taboo subjects that, you know... Women don't like to talk about necessarily, so that's that's a bit about me.
0: Wonderful, welcome.
1: And I think you touch immediately one of the the things about pelvic floor and women's health. And when we speak about pregnancy, I often notice that no one ever speak about you know having urinary incontinence when you laugh or sneeze. It happens, right? And we're gonna uh, get into it, but I found that so taboo still. And that's why I wanted us to undo this taboo and explain everything about it so that uh, women feel more informed and more comfortable talking about it because it's very important, right? So can you start with telling us what is the pelvic floor?
2: Yes, right. This is like one of my favorite subjects. (laughs) So the pelvic floor is a group of muscles that sit kind of in like a hammock-like shape um, at the base of the pelvis. So it runs from the pubic bone, the two sit bones and the tailbone. And it has about three layers of muscles. Now, these muscles are really important. They've got, I like to break it down into four functions. The first function is to support, right? So it's really important to support the internal organs. In the female body, we've got three of these internal organs, the bladder, the uterus, and the rectum. Now, it's important to know that the pelvic floor is not the only thing that keeps the organs up in place. The organs are actually suspended by ligaments as well. Right, so firstly, it's support. Now, secondly, it's stability. So the pelvic floor is the base of the core. It's really important to stabilize our pelvis and our hips as we move so that we can move in a pain-free way and that we can kind of be strong enough to do the things that we want to do. The next is what I like to call sphincter control. So if we think of those three organs as females, we've got three holes, So the first hole is the urethra. That's where the pee comes out of. Then we've got the vagina and at the back, we've got the anus, right? Where the poo comes out of. Now, in terms of sphincter control, the pelvic floor is supposed to be able to keep pee and poo in when we need it to stay in. And then it should be able to relax enough for pee and poo to come out. And then to be able to relax enough for us to have pain-free sex, or for us to bring a baby into this world. The next thing that it does is what I like to call my personal favorite sexual function. It's so important for female orgasms. Now the, if you think of an orgasm, that's rhythmic contraction of muscles and your pelvic floor, that's where we get orgasms from. So it, it's a really important role in sexual function. The next thing that we need to remember is the pelvic floor doesn't just work in isolation. So it lies at the base of the pelvis and it's part of the deep core. But when we look at this deep core, it's like a cylinder. So pelvic floor's at the bottom, diaphragm, the breathing muscles at the top. And then we've got this muscle that wraps around from our back to the front, to the belly. And that muscle is called transverse abdominis. But I like to call it the corset muscle because it does what of course it does. It flattens into your abdomen, flattens into your abdominal contents and maintains what I like to call the pressure system. Now, hopefully I haven't lost anyone yet. We'll talk a little bit about that pressure system because it all plays a role. As we inhale, okay, air comes into the lungs, diaphragm flattens, pelvic floor has to kind of move down, relax a little bit. As we exhale, the opposite is happening. Pelvic floor contracts and diaphragm um, kind of contracts and air comes back out, all right? So there's this constant ebb and flow and that corset muscle is maintaining all of this, Right. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> I, lo- I love your explanation.
0: i explanations. <laughs> yeah, well, just going to say, so well. It's very, it's very, <laughs> yeah. very well done. Yeah, loving it.
1: Yeah, good. So why, why is it important, especially for a pregnant woman, to know what the pelvic floor is and, and be mindful of it?
2: Look, I firmly believe that if we know more, about our bodies we can do more so we understand how like our body our body functions then we can know when things aren't right and that we can work on those things so we can go see the right people you know go see the right healthcare professionals whatever that is so as females we tend to struggle with more pelvic floor dysfunction than what men typically do It's, it's important to know men also have pelvic floors and they also have pelvic floor dysfunctions but as females we tend to have more of them, and that's purely because of the shape and the size of our pelvic floors. They're bigger, and they're holding more up. Okay, three
0: organs versus two in and the male. And we've also got a hole at the bottom of our bodies. Exactly, we've got a hole at the bottom of our bodies, whereas men don't. So <laughs>
2: <Yeah>. exactly. <laughs> so it's it, it's it's important yeah. to know, like for the pregnant woman, that. This pelvic floor and the core, it works so hard. It's placed under so much demand. You know, just think simple things like the weight changes, the center of gravity shifts as that belly starts to grow. You know, that's placing so much pressure in this pressure system that typically we're hoping is functioning normally in the typical body, not even in the pregnant body then you add this little, this growing thing inside you. So it it makes it so much harder for our pelvic floor and our deep core to, to work as it should. So that's why I think it's really important for us to know about it because things are going to change inevitably. And, and I think Deborah, you said in the beginning, you know, if you think of leaking, right, the pelvic floor is supposed to keep pee and poo in, you know, it, as much as we said, like people don't talk about it, it if you did, and often with an older generation of women, the people are like, oh, that's normal. Oh, you've had babies. Yeah. Yeah. It happens to all of us, right? But it's actually not supposed to be like that. Even though it happens to many
0: women, it isn't normal. And we can work on it. So it's nice to say, what I like to say is that it's common, but it's not normal. Exactly. And then yeah. people realize, okay, a lot of people, other people have it, but it's not necessarily what should be happening that you can improve the situation. Yes. So what happens to the pelvic floor during pregnancy and birth? If you can go into right. a little bit about that.
2: Yes. So we we think back to that pressure system. And I briefly touched on it with your previous question, but that that pressure system has changed now. There's a lot more load on it. So If we think of the pelvic floor and the core functioning normally, as we inhale, it kind of relaxes. So it makes a bit of space as we exhale, it contracts. So it moves up. Now you add this big pressure in the pressure system. So naturally the pelvic floor is not just going to relax and make space. It's going to be like, Oh, I'm, I'm keeping things up here. I'm, I'm protecting you. I'm, you know, I'm under a lot of load or under a lot of pressure. I mean." Also add on baby kicking your bladder, which is what mine is currently doing. (laughs) It's, it's hard for us to like actually control certain functions. Um, So that's the one thing that happens. And then the other thing is this, this shift in, in our center of gravity. So think about kind of that third trimester, the belly's really moving out, the back, the lower back has had to adjust. It's very normal for this to happen. Your pelvis kind of shifts more in an anterior forward way. You know, all of these things are very typical during pregnancy, but that places even more load on your core, on your pelvic floor. The other thing to think about is your pelvic floor itself. During vaginal birth, Stretches beyond three times its normal size to allow the baby to come out. So it's it's really going through the most there, and in this time, it needs to be able to relax to make space. And it's, we all know that this is really hard to relax. Anything like think of your jaw when you're in pain, or you know, if if you're stressed, okay. So the pelvic floor (laughs) needs to do all of these things, support us and keep everything in, but also make space and allow for, let's say, baby to come out.
0: So this might be a controversial thing, but, you know, we are talking about a taboo subject anyway, so we might as well throw it in, is that, you know, I've been at hundreds and hundreds of births. And a lot of the caregivers, whether it's a gynecologist or a midwife, when it is a woman birthing her baby, they want a woman to hold their breath, put their chin on their chest, and push and not breathe. Okay. And it still happens today. And, you know, even with midwives that are natural, blah, 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 blah. Now, the problem with that is if you are describing, you know, you're describing that the diaphragm as you breathe in, is relaxing the pelvic floor, and as you breathe out, it's contracting. So that means that if you are holding your breath and you are pushing, that means you're actually making the pelvic floor even more tight. Is, is that right?
2: Yeah. So, so I think there's definitely a correct way of pushing, and you know, pushing doesn't mean that you hold your breath at all. <laughs> In fact, we know, and I'm sure you you've used the <laughs> you know we need to breathe. We need to breathe our baby out. (laughs) Um, So, yes, the pelvic floor, if we think of um, bearing down, you know, for most of us when we create that, that big pushing, like our pelvic floor doesn't open. It contracts. It braces. It holds on. Our core braces. It holds on. So, yeah, I agree with you.
1: Yeah, and I find that actually quite counterintuitive because when you're pushing, you actually want to breathe as much as you can.
0: Yeah, Deborah breathed her baby out beautifully. Just so you know, Emma, <laughs> she really did an amazing job with that. I wasn't, I
2: wasn't there, <laughs> and she had a but new I, wife I was that there. was on board. <laughs> I wasn't there, but she told me all about it. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. Emma, you were explaining to us what happens to the pelvic floor during pregnancy, uh, are the exercises that women can do during pregnancy to prever- prepare the pelvic floor and to maintain a good pelvic floor health? And uh, and what do you think of the epino? You know that ball that people can you can blow to to stretch your your muscles. Because when I was pregnant, a friend told me, oh, yeah, I heard about this. This is something you could try." I didn't try it. But uh, I wanted to know what you think about it.
2: Yeah, so I think let's start with the exercises first and then we'll get into the epino. I've got a few things to say about exercise. Exercise and being being active in pregnancy is so important. Like studies have shown that if you exercise during pregnancy, this can decrease the risk of instrumental deliveries, right? So so important. Um, recent studies have have also shown like the amount of the intensity of exercise you can do 2.5 to five hours of moderate intensity exercise a week or 1.25 to 2.5 hours of vigorous intensity exercise, you know, so we should be exercising during pregnancy. Now, that being said, most forms of exercise itself is safe during pregnancy. And I want people to think of training for a marathon because pregnancy is like a marathon and then birth yep. itself is a marathon. So I would be cautious of things like high impact exercise in the last trimester from about like 34 weeks. And the reason I say that is because the pelvic floor and the core is under so much pressure and demand and babies doubling in size. There's so much that's happening. We don't need to be jumping running, doing box jumps, whatever that is. Now, if we think of kind of training our pelvic floors and our cores, most exercises actually recruit your pelvic floor and your core, okay? But when we're pregnant, it's harder for us to be specific, okay? Um, And I think this is what I – if I tell – any woman, I'm like, oh, do your pelvic floor exercises. Some people are like, oh, I think I'm doing it. <laughs> and other yeah, people exactly. are like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, other people are like, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm doing it. I'm doing it. And you're like, mm, you know, and I test them in the clinic. And I'm like, no, you're not doing it. <laughs> so <laughs> so when we look at a basic pelvic floor exercise, I'll I'll take you through one now. I often start with that relaxation because if you think of any muscle, it needs to be able to relax fully for it to be able to contract fully. All right. So I like to use the breath when I start to do these basic exercises. So as we inhale, we relax, we make space, we open up, we breathe into our pelvic floor, we breathe into our belly. Now, as we exhale, we can use different cues because all of of us work differently. So I'm going to take you through these different cues. So let's inhale, relax, make space. And as we exhale, I want you to imagine that you're going to hold a wee, right? Now, as you inhale, you're going to open up, make space, relax, let go. As you exhale, I want you to imagine that you're going to hold a poo or hold gas. And as you inhale, you're going to relax and let go. And as you exhale, let's imagine that you're going to squeeze your muscles around a tampon. Do you know that feeling of a tampon? You're going to squeeze the muscles around a tampon. You're going to pull that tampon all the way to your belly button. And as you inhale, you're slowly going to let that tampon go and put it back down. Right? Let's do one more. Inhale, we relax, let go, exhale. I want you to imagine you're picking up a little blueberry with your vagina and you're gonna lift that blueberry all the way up to the belly button. Now keep it there just for a moment and inhale, relax. Slowly start to place that blueberry back down. Right, so these are basic pelvic floor cues. I hope one worked for you. They're all a bit different, but they all can recruit the pelvic floor. I remember the blueberry one, it uh,
1: brought some flashback.
2: (laughs) I don't know why the food, the food cues, people just get them. (laughs) It is important to remember that the pelvic floor um, has different types of muscle fibers fast twitch muscle fibers and slow twitch muscle fibers so the slow twitch muscle fibers means that they've got endurance so they're able to squeeze and lift and hold all right so when we practice pelvic floor exercises we can practice squeezing lifting holding that holding and breathing or holding and lifting up whatever it is you're busy lifting up whether that's a weight a toddler uh your groceries okay then it's has fast twitch muscle fibers so that means it should be able to contract quickly work quickly not necessarily have the endurance but have that strength to keep pee or poo in when you're jumping on a trampoline which is sounds weird but trust me the moment you have a kid people jump on trampolines okay <laughs> so <laughs> it should be able to keep those fingers closed quickly when we're jumping we're running we're we're, we're lifting that heavy weight okay so th- they're different ways to practice your pelvic floor exercises so i'd say endurance holds so squeeze and lift hold breathe maybe do something else while you're holding Then there's the fast twitch muscle fibers. I like to call them pulses. So squeeze and lift, squeeze and lift, squeeze and lift. And then being able to just move it throughout its range. Like we started with inhale, relax, exhale, squeeze and lift. Inhale, slowly place it back down, right? So those are the basic exercises.
0: <laughs> is squatting a good idea? I mean, I always say to people that squatting is great because it, you know, it gets the whole pelvic floor involved um, in pregnancy. Obviously not like Ina May Gaskin who says 300 squats a day because that's ridiculous and that's not good for anyone. We have for <laughs> that. But, yeah, exactly. Yeah, but so, so, I mean, what do you think about squats and how many do you think people should be doing? Yeah, pregnancy? so
2: squats – you know squats are so important if you think about our day-to-day life we are squatting we're sitting to standing how many times a day that is a squat right so squats and lunges you know those type of things we're doing in our day-to-day you know we're climbing upstairs and and those those exercises have been proven to recruit your pelvic floor muscles so 100% agree, we need to be squatting. You need your pelvis, your glutes, all the muscles around your pelvic floor also to be strong. Now, when it comes to how many, it depends from person to person. Some people really can't do squats. Um, If you're planning a vaginal birth, I would suggest that you train your body to be able to maintain certain positions for some time. Um, in, In fact, anybody who's birthing but um (laughs) i i would say you know start with the basics if you're someone who's never done squats you know I, i always say we start with reps and sets three times 10 three times 15 three times 20 four times 20 you know it depending on what you can manage or tolerate it's also just important to know that any muscle you know We can train it and be really good at a certain amount. But if you ever want muscles to get stronger, you load them. So you add weight to them. Okay. And think about being a mother. You're lifting a weight that's only getting heavier. (laughs) And then you have a second child, and then you've got a toddler and a baby. So add the double the weight. (laughs) So, yeah. So squats, lunges so important and what kind of uh, exercises do you recommend for pregnant women it goes back to kind of what we've been talking about like it depends from from woman to woman it depends on your your um, previous types of exercise that you've been used to if you for instance have never really done any form of exercise and you kind of want to get into it I'd say the low-impact exercise is the best to start with. And low-impact would be things like Pilates, yoga, things that recruit specific pelvic floor exercises that that talk about pelvic floor involvement. I wouldn't start a hectic weight training journey if you've just fallen pregnant and you you haven't been doing it. Um, but if you are someone who has been lifting weights, 100%, continue lifting weights in your pregnancy. Just you know, be mindful that you're near the end. You don't have to be lifting your personal best <laughs> because your body's already lifting quite a bit. Um, but yes, I, I think it's imp- important to to recruit the pelvic floor and the deep core. So being mindful of it being active during certain uh Activities during certain movements.
1: Yeah, I remember reading that um, if you are used to regular uh, physical activity, then that you should keep doing it when you are pregnant. But obviously, not start something completely new that uh, your body has never done before. Like if you're never used to climbing, don't start climbing while you're pregnant. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it was funny. One of my friend Olivia, who was on the podcast, she. She used to climb, and when she was eight months pregnant, she was still climbing walls with her big belly.
2: <laughs> and Amazing. She was doing
1: great. <laughs> yeah, so can you explain what the Epino is, and, and do, would you recommend it as a preparation for, for birth?
2: Yes, so the Epino, I, know, I must be honest, I've never used it within my practice. I am aware of it um, because it gets discussed quite a bit. Uh, in fact, I've recently done a birth course where it was discussed as well. Now, the Epino seems to be um, a device that helps stretch the perineum, the pelvic floor, so uh, make space. It allows it to make some space um, when, kind of, in that last trimester, when you you're starting to to think about opening up, relaxing, making space. Okay. I think that it can be a great device for some people, right? But research has shown that doing perineal massaging, so massaging the perineums, that space between the vagina and the anus, and so those muscles that sit between them, massaging them from about 34 weeks, and it can be twice a week, three times a week for about five minutes, it, it does the same thing. Um, so there's no, you know, uh, real, like, improvement uh, versus using the f and o. Um, I've also heard just this is from that specific birth course that I did. Um, I heard that some of the ladies that had used it said it's actually quite hard to keep the device in <laughs> because you have yeah. this crazy system. <laughs> as you start to, like, in, inflate it or as you breathe, it's like, <laughs> It pops straight out.
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so. and, and when I listen to women who use it, I wonder if it's more about mental preparation, where you feel that you are able to expose that uh, round thing out of your vagina, right? Yeah,
2: yeah I, I think it definitely helps with that mental preparation. Um, it also helps with that discomfort and, and being able to breathe through that discomfort. But then again, perennial massaging could could be the same. It's hard for us to push as hard as, let's say, you know, a partner would or a, a healthcare professional would if you are specifically working on making space in your in your perineum. But, you know, I, with the EFB, know, I, I also know that it, it's, it's like a little balloon. So uh, if your pelvic floor muscles are really tight, you're actually squeezing that balloon. So mm-hmm. you might think that you're stretching it to, like, however many centimetres. But it's actually, you know, your muscles are stronger than that balloon. So it it most likely is not really reaching where you think it's
0: reaching. Yeah. Yeah. No, over the years, I've, um, you know, I've, I've, I've given people the option. I teach them that their partners do the massage for them because they can reach better than you with this big pregnant belly. And then I've also suggested if, you know, if people you know, haven't got a partner or if that's not their thing for their partner to be involved. And it's also interesting, like you've said, some people think that they're doing a good job and actually they're not sure because our bodies are all unique and, and, and we don't know. And that's why you know Deborah and I, when we chatted about having you on the podcast, it's, it's so valuable that pregnant women know what is their pelvic floor about and really get in touch with that part of the body, and as you said, the most valuable part about the pelvic floor, um, and, and massaging it with whatever you use, is that being able to relax into that sensation, so that when the baby is coming, you go, okay, and you can relax into that sensation instead of tightening up.
2: So important. I think the other thing, if we are talking in terms of devices for things like perennial massage, you know, I know that some people, or at least some of the women in my practice, they aren't comfortable with their partners doing the perennial massaging. You do get a different device um, uh, called like a pelvic wand. So kind of in like this S-shaped device, it's a bit easier to reach past your belly to work on yourself. <laughs> Um, uh, I'm using mine currently because I, I've got a really, really tight pelvic floor. So I struggle with a lot of pain. And as my belly grows, it definitely is harder to use it, but I'm actually still able to reach the right spots. So that is an alternative to partners or to a healthcare professional. Lovely.
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned the premium massage because it's something that I always... Recommend to my friends after I did um, the uh class prenatal class. Uh, it, it's something that you know you feel that is uncomfortable because there are muscles that you probably never stretch. I tell people it's kind of like if you are asking your body to do a full split when you never actually practice doing a split, right? For me, birth was a bit like that, like trying to find comfort in discomfort and and when we did the prenatal massage the first time i was like my god this is really so like how am i gonna give birth like this is so painful <laughs> and uh and I, I think it was really trying to yeah breathe into the stretching breathe into that sensation of muscles that you've never used before um so i think it's super important because as you you said Thierry, it's really getting in touch with your body and understanding different sensations that you might feel, and when you, you're going to give birth and feel the head of your baby coming down, then you're going to feel, okay, this is what it is, you know, and it's going to be okay. I'm going to breathe a lot and be okay with the stretching. But, yeah, it's a new sensation that can feel quite un- uncomfortable, and that's why I think preparing before birth is uh, is so important.
2: Yeah, and I think it's also important to know, like, perennial massaging, as much as that prepares you for that sensation and during birth, it actually has been shown to decrease the risk of tearing during that second, second stage labor. However, in saying that, the stats on kind of first-time vaginal births and tearing, it, it's quite high. It's about 8 out of 10 women will have some degree of tearing during their first vaginal birth.
0: Yeah, Which, I mean, I I believe in perineal massage. I've been teaching my clients for years, and Deborah knows this. The biggest baby that I've ever seen being born was four seven five o kilos.
2: Wow! With an
0: intact perineum, no drugs. Um, yeah, it was her second baby, like you said. Her first baby was four kilos directly posterior, also intact perineum. So, you know, I wow. I believe that it works. I've seen it so many times. Yeah.
1: And what's the difference between uh, a c-section birth and a natural birth when it comes to the pelvic floor? Do you still recommend women who had a c-section to to do a pelvic floor physio afterwards?
0: A
2: very good question. Okay, people think that if they do a caesarean section that they save their pelvic floors. It, it is not the case. Think about pregnancy. Like this whole pregnancy, your pelvic floor is working so hard to keep that baby in, to keep your pelvis stable, to keep you moving. So it's it's tightening up. It's, it's holding on. It's not learning how to relax or to let go. And then, you know, cesareans, as much as they can be life-saving or it can be somebody's birth choice to have a cesarean. It is major abdominal surgery, so they're cutting through so many layers to get your baby out and through your entire core, your pressure system. So you there, you have this like big surgery. Baby gets given to you. Gr- great job. Your vagina is intact, but you know your core is not. So it is so important to still seek help or see a, a pelvic floor physio after a cesarean section. And I typically tell any woman, so any type of birth that you've had between four and six weeks postpartum, you don't have to have stopped bleeding um, before you see a healthcare professional. But, you know, we do suggest that most of the bleeding has should have stopped before you see one. Um, but there's so much that we can do to, um, teach your pelvic floor to work again, post cesarean. And often I'm seeing a lot of kind of dysfunction related to a tighter dysfunctional pelvic floor than when, you know, you'd have a vaginal birth, you see a a pelvic floor that's often tight, but kind of tight in its, its open ranges. So it feels like everything's loose and lax on the inside, but it can still be tight. (laughs)
1: yeah it can feel a bit daunting to see a pelvic floor physio after you've given birth uh and I think I felt a bit of apprehension before uh before I met you, Emma, because obviously you know you ha you had a baby come out of your vagina, like you haven't had sex again yet, and you, it's still still sensitive, right, and I don't know some people might have had a traumatic birth, and they don't necessarily want someone to get in their business. So can you explain how, how you go about it how, as a physio? How do you make women feel comfortable? Because I think you are really good at that to make it as enjoyable as possible, if, if that can be.
2: Yeah. How, can you so, walk us
1: through a pelvic floor physio session? Like, how, how is it exactly?
2: <laughs> yes. Um, so w- it's important to know that you as the patient you always have a choice of who looks or touches your body. And often that process of birth, especially vaginal birth, and this is caesareans too, because everybody's looking everywhere. Um, But just that process of so many people have seen it, so many people have like looked or touched or whatever, that I'm like, oh, you have no more authority over your body. It's important to know that especially with a a woman's health physio that you do have the choice of whether you allow someone to do an internal assessment um or not okay so physios public law physios are trained to do internal assessments and what we actually do is we assess your your muscles ability to contract to relax Um, you know, we are able to assess whether your organs have descended. So um, meaning whether you've got pelvic organ prolapse when the organ shifts into the space of another organ, which happens to 50% of women in in a female's lifetime, it can happen to 50% of women, whether you've had vaginal birth or not. Kind of, we're trained to look We're trained to assess and we're trained to teach you how to use these muscles again, how to reactivate, reconnect, okay? So a typical session, um, well, in my clinic at least, before you even come to me, uh, you get a questionnaire and the questionnaire kind of opens the floor to the type of questions we'll be talking about or the type of things I'll be discussing with you. Um, so it'll ask you about peeing, pooing, sexual function, like what hurts? Are you able to get things out? Do you have to put a finger inside your vagina to get poo out? you know it's It's asking all these questions so that you start to think right this is this is what we're going to talk about here from there. you come see me, and we often start with about a twenty minute chat. My first appointments are an hour long. And in that time, we get to know each other. It's a safe space. The doors locked, So no one can come in. No one can hear us. So it's a private room. It's important to know that because some clinics are quite open. (laughs) And you can hear what's happening in each room, not, uh, not when you're doing a pelvic floor assessment. So we'll kind of get into if you're having any dysfunctions, what's been happening how are you sleeping? How are you coping? How was birth? Have you kind of debriefed after birth? Um, Have you spoken to a professional, Um, which is quite important, especially if you have experienced quite a lot of birth trauma. Um, So yeah, so big discussions first. And then from there, you know, we start by just assessing your typical movements. How are you breathing? So we look at how you're breathing. We look at how you're moving we um I, I might make you fold forward, touch your toes, reach back, you know, just stand on one leg, look at yourself in the mirror <laughs> there's a lot of kind of external stuff that happens um might make you jump <laughs> not, not necessarily early after um after birth, but you know there, there are a few things that we might assess depending on what you've answered in that questionnaire or depending on what you're struggling with then from there yeah. if we have that full permission. Um, I explain how I'm going to do an internal assessment, where it's gonna happen, where you're gonna be, where I'm gonna be, how long it's gonna take necessarily. If I'm going to use like a measure, and um, do a little measurement, so where I kind of measure the outside of your vulva or whether I'm gonna measure if your organs have descended, like I discuss all of that. And once I've obtained your consent, it will be kind of an internal assessment. So might use, like I said, a device to do some measurements. You get a little pop stick. It's like a tongue depressor, but it's got little measurements on. So we kind of measure the size of your vulva. So if you are someone who's struggling with pelvic organ prolapse symptoms, it's good for me to understand kind of what the size of your pelvic floor muscles are. And it's like a baseline assessment so we can see whether they come a little bit closer together and or whether you're like a candidate for um, devices such as pessaries, which are these devices that keep organs up. Just it depends. Then I have a feel. So I feel what's happening with your pelvic floor muscles. And for me to do that, I have gloves on, lots of lube, test with one finger. Depending on what we're looking for, I might ask your permission if I could use two fingers. You're going to squeeze around my finger. You're going to feel me kind of feel for the muscles and the organs around. And during all of this, you are involved. It's important to know that the things are not happening to you. You are in control. You are involved. I'm going to teach you all about you. I often even use a mirror if you are open to or okay with looking at your vulva I can actually show you a few things um which is you know it can be super confronting for some women so I never force it on people (laughs) but um some some women are like oh I haven't looked I'd actually like to see what's happening great let's have a look I'll show you with a mirror you do the contraction you'll see your pelvic floor moving and be like oh my gosh I can actually do it or oh I'm struggling a little bit I need to do a bit more breathing, but more relaxing, whatever that may be. Then depending on what we find, we might actually work on, let's say some scar tissue. If you had some tearing, if you had some stitching, um, and that's also just kind of loosening up into the tissues, making space, making sure that the kind of first, thing that goes in their postpartum isn't necessarily <laughs> your husband's penis, which is also quite confronting for some women. Um, you know, you <laughs> you understand or you can feel what's happening with your pelvic floor and kind of just reconnect with it um, without it having to be like a sexual act.
0: Lovely. Um, yeah. Lovely. And so what kind of issues – will arise that woman would obviously I uh, always say you know go and see a pelvic floor after you've had a baby like we've discussed but besides that I mean w- would there be a particular things that women need to look out for yes
2: so I think uh postpartum depending on the birth some of the things that might have happened is you might have had an episiotomy is where they cut or you might have torn a little bit There are different stages of tearing stage one and stage two is kind of better than an episiotomy when they cut you, but a episiotomy is better than a stage three or stage four tearing because stage three and stage four tears into the anal sphincter, which is um, not ideal. It, it tears through quite a, quite a bit of your, your support or your fascial kind of connective tissue support for your pelvic floor. So let's say, you know, in terms of, uh, Tearing and stitching and things that might happen, those are the things that can happen during birth. And then the common issues postpartum that we are seeing are things like leaking, leaking poo, leaking pee, uh painful sex, like I've mentioned, prolapse. So when the organs shift into the space of another organ. Now that that might look different um, for different people. That might be that feeling of like like a real heaviness or like a bulge in the vagina. And it might not be there all day, but you know, you might realize that at the, at the end of the day when you've picked your baby up quite a bit or you had a really bad night of sleep. Um, you know, you're like, "Oh, it's just it feels like there's like this ball inside um my vagina." So that can be a sign of prolapse. Then pelvic floor muscle weakness. And it's important to know that muscle weakness is not always and we, we always think after birth that everything's just like, like hanging, <laughs> like, yeah. like loose and lax. but it isn't, it isn't always, it, it can be like open, but sometimes it's like, it, it's like been through a lot. So it can be really tight. Okay. And, and tight muscles are not functional. They're not good. Contrary to popular belief. We don't want a tight vagina. We want functional vaginas, okay? <laughs>
0: I love that. I love the way you say that. We want, want functional vaginas. I love it. <laughs> exactly.
1: Yeah, and for yeah. me, there was really a, a, common, um, a common idea that people think after birth, uh, your vagina gets really loose uh, and might not be as good when you have sex, etc., but uh, as you say, mine like got super tight and it was actually painful. Uh, and I remember I was like, "Ah, yeah, this is something I never thought that could happen." Because you have this common idea. Um, so, what what do you advise women to avoid painful sex after after birth? Are there ways to to support them uh, in easing back into it in a non painful way? Because it doesn't have to pain to be painful, as you say.
2: Yeah. So I I think you know I I always kind of wonder like why we think the first thing that has to go kind of back up there postpartum is a penis (laughs) you know like I'm like (laughs) I'm like why are we not kind of exploring how it feels for us you know like if you did have some tearing some stitching like have you felt you know what it feels like have you looked have you kind of tested those tissues the same way you would test them when you're doing like perennial massaging, like just reconnect with it first. Yeah. The the things that I'd suggest is firstly seeing that woman's health physio, because then, you know, the first thing that's going in there is rather like a, a finger, just feeding the muscles, testing when we do place a bit of pressure on them, how you're responding. And then, um, Other things like the pelvic wand that I spoke about earlier. So the pelvic wand is a nice way to also kind of test your tolerance to muscles or tissues moving. And then depending on the person, you know, maybe even trying like a dilator. A dilator is like a, almost looks like a dildo, like not really the same thing. But the dilator is like kind of phallic shaped and um, you can get different sizes sizes of them often used to treat things like vaginismus which is when the pelvic floor muscles really tighten up in the thought of penetration so you know testing whether you can tolerate something going in there you know um and and start with something small not necessarily a penis <laughs> uh,
1: and you started um by speaking about some muscles how they're tight like our jaw can you explain what's the the relationship between the jaw and the pelvic floor?
2: Yeah. So your jaw and your pelvic floor are very closely linked. If you think about trying to relax when you're biting down on your jaw, like, is it possible? <laughs> are you able to relax when you're busy biting down? Like, no, you're not. <laughs> um, if you try to breathe and let go, and your jaw is busy like clenching, it's like impossible for us to do it. So your pelvic floor and your and your um, jaw are very closely related. If you think of you know what gets taught in like birth classes and those type of things, like, often you get taught to like make noise to open up into your vocal cords to make space. You can't do that when you're busy clenching. When you're clenching here, you're clenching down there. So, um, yes, very strong link between what's happening up here and what's happening down there. And often in the clinic, you know, if I get someone who's got lots of TMJ dysfunction, which is like jaw dysfunction, I'm like, right, tell me about sex. Is it painful? You know, tell me about what's happening with your pelvic floor, you know have do you struggle with like lower back pain you know all of those things kind of might be linked so um yeah pretty close relationship there
1: interesting yeah? everything is uh interconnected and uh what is diastasis do i pronounce it
0: correctly <laughs> yes <laughs> diastasis <laughs> So
2: it's, it, people people say different things there. <laughs> diastasis diastasis so so diastasis or diastasis recti is um it, it's quite a buzzword these days and i think it's become quite like this buzzword uh because of social media and i think because of the aesthetics of it so basically what it is it's the the and i don't quite like using the word splitting because it sounds terrible Open. um it's it's the opening of uh, your your six pack yeah of your six pack muscle to make space for a baby now what if you look at the anatomy of your six pack muscle um it's got this thin little maybe thin is also not the right word yet, it's got this connective tissue sheath that connects the two pieces of that six-pack muscle together. It's called the linear alba. Now, it is connective tissue. And when you think of um, pregnancy, uh, you think of the hormone relaxin, which is a hormone that just softens and loosens interconnective tissue structures so that our body can make space for this growing being, be, being and being inside us. <laughs> so as your body makes space, it, it basically a hundred percent of women at the end of pregnancy will have some form of diastasis. Yeah, now it's
1: completely normal.
2: Yeah. it. It depends from person to person whether it can come back together completely or, you know, if you might just always have a little bit more of a gap, right? Because pregnancy changes our bodies. Now, the things that it depends on are, are often some of it's in our control, but most of it's out of our control. The things that are out of our control are things like your collagen and elastin like your age, multiple pregnancies, your weight before pregnancy, your strength before pregnancy. Often you can get quite a big diastasis with someone that has super tight muscles. So someone that's like super strong, you know, it, you don't have to be super weak to get a major diastasis. Yeah. Um, so the, so those, those are the things that are kind of like, eh, not really in our control. The thing that is within our control is if we are able to manage our core pressure system. So we go back to that pressure system. Are we able to manage that when we load our body during and after birth? Okay. No, so during pregnancy and after birth. Okay. So if we think of after birth, you'd think of, uh, this is also another buzzword coning or doming you know when you try and like sit straight up after birth your belly just goes like whoop, and it makes this little dome and this little cone yeah. <laughs> so uh, if if you were to continuously load your body that way and you've got quite a big gap between your muscles your, your body's ability to bring those tissues back together is not great you know, it, it's you're constantly loading it, you're constantly stretching or ballooning into it. So it, it's going to struggle for all of those tissues to recoil, to come back together. So, you know, diastasis, like I said, is this, it's this buzzword. And I often think, you know, we give it this bad rap. And, it, and the bad rap get, comes often from, from pelvic health physios,
0: um, mm.
2: yeah, most likely because it pushes the feed up in the algorithm. But um, it, it, it's often aesthetically driven, right? It, it looks ugly, you know, if I have this big gap and I want my belly to be flat postpartum and all of those things. But it can be a sign of pelvic floor or core dysfunction. So, yes, you'll hear about it and your physio might measure whether you have quite a significant one and whether you're able to control your core pressure system. Very interesting. I think we could listen to you speaking all day, Emma. <laughs> I could speak all day.
1: <laughs> if there was one advice that you'd like to share with women who intend to get pregnant or who are pregnant or had a baby, what would it be?
2: Right. So, one advice.
1: <laughs> Three <laughs> different groups. I'll, Should I
2: it yeah, okay okay no i can do this i can do this i would say prepare for pregnancy and for birth like you would prepare your body and mind for a marathon
1: i love that for the marathon of your life
2: (laughs) (laughs) yes and it doesn't end there
0: (laughs) thank you so much emma for for taking the time and you know we're in three different places in the world and it's just so lovely to Have met you. I've seen you on Instagram. Uh, I didn't get to meet you before you went to Australia, but uh, it's so lovely to have had you and you really explained it beautifully. And I I really feel like our listeners are going to benefit from having this episode. Um, So thank you. Thank you.
2: Thanks so much for having me, guys. Thank you,
0: Eva. Wow, I'm so grateful. That we decided to do this Deborah and you kept on saying we've got to get Emma, we've got to get Emma. So I'm so grateful that she came to share her beautiful knowledge with us. Uh, It was really affirming for me and I think for for all our listeners that, you know, the importance of the pelvic floor and of having that connection with your bodies. You know, that's what I'm all about when I teach is that how can you really be in touch with your body? Birth is an embodied experience. Um, and the more we can be in touch with our bodies, not only before we are pregnant, but while we are pregnant and postpartum, because postpartum, you know, you're outside and everything's about the baby. We need to also remember our own bodies and our pelvic floor and how it feels um, for us um, so that we can live long, healthy sex lives too.
1: Yeah, I never thought I could uh, listen to someone speak about the pelvic floor for an hour. <laughs> Emma is so great. I really love this episode, and uh, and what you said really resonates with me, Tony, about reconnecting with your body, because my son is almost two years old, and I still feel I haven't fully reconnected with my body. Uh, it's a long process, although I had, as you said, a, a beautiful birth, I still feel like my body doesn't fully belong to me anymore, uh, the reason being because I don't have time to exercise, I haven't had time to go back to my yoga properly. I haven't had time to be with myself. I don't have alone time. And that makes all of this hard for me to connect with my body again. And uh, and I love how Emma explains that, you know, you don't need to have sex immediately after birth. You, you can reconnect with your body first. You can look uh, at your body in the mirror first and just learn to know your body again because yeah. you're a different person after birth. And it takes time. And, and I'm just learning that I didn't think two years later I would be saying I'm still not reconnected with my body fully. But it takes so much time and, and it's something so important to, to reconnect with yourself. And pelvic floor physio actually helps because you are learning so much about what's going on inside that you don't see. Feeling your, your abdominal muscles, feeling your pelvic floor muscles when you are breathing. So, so interesting and so empowering as well.
0: Yeah, so you do know that it takes five years to fully recover from a birth. Is it? No, I didn't know. Five it. years. It takes five years. Wow. Fully that's a recover. long time. Yeah, it's a long time. And then also, Deborah, remember that if you, if you don't have the time, you have to make it for yourself. You have to put it in the diary. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's, I actually decided now I'm going to do yoga twice uh, a week, and I'm going to a class because if I plan to do it at home, it never happens. Exactly. It's definitely on the cards. Um, I hope everyone enjoyed this bonus episode. Um, and if you have any other topics that you would like us to talk about, please let us know. Uh, you can write us an email or contact us on Instagram. And if you like this episode, please share it with all the women that you know who might benefit from the information that we shared. And um, yeah, share the love, like our podcast, send us some feedback. We'd love to hear from you.
0: And at some point in the future, we will be having an, a, a season two and we look forward to that. So if again, if there's stories that you have that you'd like to share your birth story with us, please reach out to us. I uh, would love to hear from you and we'll see you soon.